Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Spatially podcast series. The Thinking Spatially podcast series, where we think spatially across space, across time, and across scales, from local to global scales. Today's episode, The Earth in Space, Seeing the World as It Truly Is. The Earth in Space, Seeing the World as It Truly Is. Joseph Kursky here, your host. Happy to be with you today. Quote, if you could see the earth illuminated when you were in a place as dark as night, it would look to you more splendid than the moon. End quote. Galileo Galilee, Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, 1632. I love that quote. It's a great introduction for today's topic. For thousands of years, people imagined what the earth might look like from a completely different vantage point. Once the idea took hold of the Earth's spherical shape, geographers, astronomers, and other scientists dreamed and drew pictures of what they believed the planet must look like from space. When spaceflight began during the 1960s, a revolutionary moment occurred in geography on several levels. Most obviously, geography finally had at its fingertips primary source documents indicating what had been studied for centuries, the Earth as a sphere, a complex one made up of interlocking systems and cycles, climate, oceans, carbon, ecological, etc. On a sub subtler level, space travel had an even more profound impact on geographic and environmental thought. Though the original goal was to visit the moon and later other planets, more was learned about the Earth than these other celestial bodies. Quote, the first day or so we all pointed to our countries. The third or fourth day we were pointing to our continents. By the fifth day we were aware of only one Earth. End quote. Sultan bin Salman al-Saud from Space Shuttle Discovery. Another quote. As we begin to comprehend that the Earth itself is a kind of manned spaceship hurtling through the infinity of space, it will seem increasingly absurd that we have not better organized the life of the human family. End quote. Hubert H. Humphrey, Vice President of the United States, 1966. Another quote. It's tiny out there. It's inconsequential. It's ironic that we have come to study the moon and it was really discovering the Earth. End quote. Bill Sanders, Apollo 8. Another quote. It suddenly struck me that tiny P, P-E-A, pretty in blue, was the Earth. I put up my thumb and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. Quote from Neil Armstrong, astronaut and first human to step onto the moon. Another quote. No one, it has been said, will ever look at the moon in the same way again. More significantly, can one say that no one will ever look at the earth in the same way. Man had to free himself from earth to perceive both its diminutive place in a solar system and its inestimable value as a planet, life-fostering planet. As Earthmen, we may have taken another step into adulthood. We can see our planet Earth with detachment, with tenderness, and with some shame and pity, but at last also with love. Quote from Anne Morrow Lindbergh, Earthshine, 1969. These quotes, books, and presentations from astronauts, regardless of the missions they flew or the countries for which they flew, had several common elements. 
From the time of Theodore Roosevelt and John Muir onwards, concern grew about the Earth, but spaceflight seemed to confirm that the Earth was a fragile oasis, a pale blue dot, a blue marble. The small size of the Earth and the vastness of space was a factor, but also the Earth was so starkly unlike the Moon or any other planet, star, asteroid, moon, or other object in the known universe. The Earth's atmosphere was immediately understood to be much thinner than simple statistics about its thickness or volume could indicate. Aiding these notions was the fact that the astronauts orbited the Earth every 90 minutes on average. The size of the Earth did not seem large when it was wholly seen 60 times daily. Along with these first two impressions was a strong environmental ethic that we are stewards of our own oasis and needed to work to protect it. Third, the Earth was seen as an image and photographic Photographic images have been valued as a technology for geography for nearly a century. But n this image was even better, a living image, and one that was completely devoid of political boundaries that people spend their entire lives examining on maps and globes. Along with the vanishing of political boundaries, the political systems and conflicts that divide people seemed less important, and the need to create a planetary society with a unified will to protect that pale blue dot became startlingly obvious and imperative. Boundaries and borders were viewed as nothing more than human-created artifacts. One's own worldview becomes shifted as well as one's own identity. We are one species with one destiny as we move out from Earth and begin to explore the universe. We are all, in effect, space men and women on spaceship Earth and must act together to steer that ship wisely. These same impressions were enabled by the development of geotechnologies, and in particular, remote sensing, which made possible the examination of planet Earth in a multitude of wavelengths. The common impression and experience that astronauts had after viewing the Earth from space, coupled with the changed consciousness that these images had on those on Earth, became known as the overview effect. Coined in 1987, author Frank White, of the book of the same name, focuses less on technology than on what he calls the paradigm shift experienced by astronauts who have responded deeply to the sight of Earth from space. White sees them as explorer fish venturing into space and, while creating new civilizations in three stages, they further new growth in their own human evolution. The overview effect was a part of the growing body of literature on what was becoming the Gaia Hypothesis. The Gaia hypothesis, or Gaia theory, or Gaia principle, proposes that organisms interact with their inorganic surroundings on Earth to form a complex, self-regulating system that contributes to maintaining the conditions for life on the planet. The Gaia hypothesis suggests that organisms co-evolve with, with their environment. They influence the abiotic environment, and that environment in turn influences the biota by Darwinian process. Though controversial, the, the hypothesis forms part of the dialogue in the geography and environmental community. Probably the most famous photograph of the Earth, and one that hastened the above thoughts and scholarship, is the blue marble photograph taken by astronauts on 7 December 1972. It is one of the few to show an almost fully illuminated Earth disk, slightly gibbous because the astronauts had the sun behind them when they took it. To the astronauts, Earth had the appearance and size of a glass marble, hence the name. And this is a photograph that I included in my book, Interpreting Our World. Indeed, Sir Fred Hoyle's words from 1948 proved prophetic. 
Once a photograph of the Earth, taken from the outside, is available, a new idea as powerful as any in history will be let loose. As Apollo 17 was the last manned lunar mission, as of this writing and this podcast, no one since 1972 has been far enough from Earth to photograph a whole Earth image such as this one that I just discussed. The image, released during the first years of the environmental movement, became a symbol of that movement as a depiction of the Earth's frailty, vulnerability, and isolation amidst the vast expanse of space. In 2012, NASA released a composite image of the Western Hemisphere, from images from six orbits over an eight-hour period from the visible and infrared Imager Radiometer Suite instrument on the Suomi NPP satellite. A nighttime Nighttime image was released later that year, and another daytime image was released in 2015 from the satellite U.S. Deep Space Climate Observatory. While all were beautifully detailed, they were composites. None of them had the impact of the original blue marble. Another famous image, dubbed Earthrise, was taken by astronaut William Anders in 1968, while he was orbiting the moon during the Apollo 8 mission. Earth looks lovely in blue and white, vastly different from the dry, barren lunar surface that it is rising above. Pale blue dot was taken on 14 February 1990 by the Voyager 1 space probe from a distance of 6 billion kilometers. Voyager 1, launched in 1977, had completed its primary mission of imaging the planets. As it was leaving the solar system, upon the request of astronomer and author Carl Sagan, it was commanded by NASA to turn its camera around to take one final photograph of of Earth. In the photograph, Earth's apparent size is less than a pixel. The planet appears as a tiny dot against the vastness of space, among bands of sunlight scattered by the camera's optics. On 19 July 2013, the Cassini spacecraft imaged Saturn and its ring system, and included, in the same view, Venus, Earth, and Mars. This was the first time that four planets had been captured at once in visible light by the Cassini craft. Underneath the massive rings of Saturn, Earth appears as an insignificant pale blue dot. These images and writings about the Earth and space travel itself influenced geographic thought from the 1960s onward. Their effects continue to this day. Indeed, as Lovelock, 1979, wrote, the outstanding spin-off from space research is not new technology. The real bonus has been that for the first time in human history, we have had a chance to look at the Earth from space, and the information gained from seeing from the outside our azure green planet in all of its global beauty has given rise to a whole new set of questions and answers. To Lovelock and others, the real value in space travel was the deep questions they fostered, not just about physics and astronomy, but about sustainability, human environment interaction, earth systems, in short, inherently geographic questions. Curiously, though the space race called for increases in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, the STEM disciplines in the USA during the 1960s and beyond, little call for increasing geography education was heard. That would have to wait for the rise of the environmental movement and the formulation of the five themes and national standards in geography. Thus, In these images and the space flight program itself, Earth was not only seen from space, but it was also seen in space, in space, which had enormous implications upon geography and human thought. Joseph Kursky here with you on the Thinking Spatially podcast. Today we discussed the Earth in space 
seeing the world as it truly is. Thanks for being with me.